Chickens and things. To episode 111 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Steve. Oh no, there's Ferengi here. Okay, I'm Jarman, and we're here to compare, <laughs> contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchise. And what are those, Steve? The Muppets and Star Trek. We're going to be doing one-to-one reviews of the Muppet Show and Star Trek: The Next Generation. That's I have right. the wrong thing written here. <laughs> <laughs> and tonight we're covering the Muppet Show with special guest star Tony Randall and Star Trek: The Next Generation episode, The Battle. Battle. So, Steve, what can you tell us about the wonderful, imitable? I can't say that word. Tony Randall. Well, Tony Randall was an American actor and singer. His biggest role and the thing he's most known for is playing Felix in the TV version of The Odd Couple. That's right. Uh, over his, I think it's like a six decade career, he was nominated for six Golden Globes, six primetime Emmys, uh, though he'd only won one Emmy out of that, that whole bit, oh. out of that whole bag. But he was nominated a lot. Uh, what does our audience know him from? Well, if you love classic television, you know him. But otherwise, our generation really doesn't have any recent reference to him. Well, there is the Gremlins 2 thing that's kind of close. What? I told you about this last time. He's the uh, he's the uh, sophisticated gremlin in Gremlins 2. Oh, that's right. Okay, maybe that's it. There we go. <laughs> Jarman nailed it. Because I already forgot. That's right. <laughs> Tony Randall played the sophisticated brain gremlin. <laughs> It was a great, great part of that movie. I remember that fondly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so what's he up to this week? Uh, well, God damn it. All right. Uh, on stage. <laughs> I thought you were asking me. I'm like, I thought you had that in there. Damn it. Tell me, Jeremy. I'm just in the wrong note all the time. <laughs> well, I guess um, I could tell you. I don't remember too on much. On stage, uh, cave pigs chide their children with for poor behavior with the song Yakety Yak. Don't talk about it. Saber Tooth Tiger is there. Up next, some very fancy gentlemen in wigs playing strings and piano, and I think it was an oboe. Yeah, I don't know. It had yeah. a, it had a thin reed. I think that's oboe. Yeah. Uh, uh, get involved in like a poke fight, and there's a fire, and then an explosion. Uh, following this, we get a Muppet News flash where a conductor is nearly electrocuted when he gets his baton in a socket. And uh, then the newscaster makes fun of this recently terribly electrocuted man and the, he attacks him on live television. It's <laughs> it is atrocious. <laughs> uh, Kermit finally introduces Tony Randall. Uh, Kermit is like joined by the there's like I don't understand this reference. So if someone gets it. Let me know which one uh, the so he's like he mentions in a time of I think it was like. And raccoon coats, I think, oh, was the yeah. reference. I didn't get the reference either. And then the two raccoons come out with barrels on and say, well, they've, he's got to give our clothes back. I don't understand. <laughs> it's something dated we don't get. <laughs> no, it's just a full length coat made of raccoon. Oh, they look they look boss as shit. <laughs> Most of these guys are also wearing bowlers. Man, I want one of these now. What it was? What was the original reference? Uh, I th- I think it was a, a raccoon coat. Oh, okay. Gross. Yeah. 
Okay, so cool. Uh, sorry, I had to look that up on the spot. Um, so Kermit, uh, this is actually a number here uh, that is cut from Disney Plus, assuming for rights issues, uh, is uh, the musical number Tippy Tin. Yeah, I watched Tony, it on YouTube. Tony, I saw it was in the description. It was, it was actually yeah, really good. It was. And Tony Randall, I had to look up because I was like, is that really his voice? And I had to look him up singing otherwise. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's his voice. Yeah, he's a good All singer. Right. Um, so I assume it's rice issues, but it wasn't in here, but it was really, it was good. Yeah. I'm glad um, I watched it. So then hitting the stage is a carnival worker singing, uh, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Uh, his ape and wife join him. The coconuts eventually join in as well. Uh, Dr. Teeth then takes the stage for a solo number and performs poison ivy and vines slowly overtake him as he's playing. We then find ourselves in the swine trek. Uh, with pigs in space, the men discuss the fact that Miss Piggy seems to uh, be, seems to be made out of stone, and she's in the cockpit. They use space tech to unfreeze her. Piggy is outraged; so they just change her back. Hmm. Uh, Tony takes the stage with some poetry. Uh, the green eye of the little yellow god. Tony uh, Scooter comes out and advises Tony of a magic word: pigskin. Tony says pigskin. T- Piggy stops being a statue. She is pissed. But he promises that he was only saying pigskin because the poem's about football and some football players show up and he gets them under control and they all sing Oh, Wisconsin or on Wisconsin. Uh, Kermit takes the stage to thank Tony one last time. Tony turns Kermit into stone. Muppets flood the stage. And that is what we call the Muppet Show. I forgot the backstage plot. So that's not what they call the Muppet Show. Uh, backstage, Tony is reading like a book of spells, turns Piggy into a statue and can't get her undone. Everyone is incredibly mean to Miss Piggy. Yeah. And she is just dragged through this episode as an unwilling participant. Tony tries some magic and poor Schooner then is victim to it. Um, And then Tony only accidentally turns her back into regular by saying pigskin. Although to be fair, Miss Piggy is a terrible abuser, so they can be mean to her if they want. I guess. But man, this felt like a lot. (laughs) Um. And that is what we call the Muppet Show. Yeah, so, Jarvin, what did you think of this week's episode with Tony Randall? Um, I, I think I like Tony Randall a lot in general, but I think he did a great job with what he was given the episode. He's very likable and funny and just like seems like a sweet guy. And um, it's just a shame they didn't have more characters for him to do because he's obviously capable of doing because of the great characters, the costumes and stuff. I'm sure he would have thrived in that. So it's weird that it gave somebody nothing to do with that. He played himself the whole time. So was kind of, I felt like a missed opportunity. Um, and also that, that he can sing. Like, usually they would do more musical numbers because he can sing. And so we only got that one that was cut, the TP-10. Um, and it was really good, but it's only on YouTube. So that was strange as well. But otherwise, I think the musical bits and stuff with the Muppets were great. Like, the the piano catching fire with, like, the classical instruments was fun. And the Lovely Bunch of Coconuts is a wonderful song. Um, <laughs> even the, you know, Little Poison Ivy song. Um and the whole bit behind the scenes of her turning to stone was kind of neat with the magic. So I don't know. For me, this was a really fun episode and it would be even higher if they just gave Tony Randall a little bit more to do. But um, since he was such a good host in general, I thought that it made up for it. But it could have been excellent instead. It was just like, oh, that's pretty good. So that's that's kind of my my feel on it. Um, So I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on this. Oh, all right. Because. I think that Tony Randall did get a chance to stretch. He got that musical number where he got to show off. 
But otherwise, I like the fact that a guest was willing to be involved in an extended backstage plot. That's true. Yeah, yeah. That's also true. That really informed what was happening on stage, spilled onto stage, and resolved on stage. This made it like maybe the biggest B-plot in Muppet Show history. Yeah, we had a through line the whole time. A through line the entire time. This might be the first time, people. This is it. (laughs) Um, And so I don't think there was a problem with him sort of playing his somber self against the Muppets in that regard. Yeah, he's kind of like the straight man the whole time, but in a fun way. I admit that became a little tough. There were some some scenes where I was like, come on, just do anything. Where it was just him and the piggy statue. And I was like, what are we watching? We're watching a man act with the statue. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) What are we doing right now? (laughs) Is this the Muppet Show? What is happening? Oh, I will mention in reaction to what you said about everyone being really mean to Miss Piggy. Kermit was surprisingly lovey-dovey toward her as a statue. Up until that moment, of course, where he, you know, decides to let someone take over for her number. Um like on a dime. But uh, other than that, he was like, he was like rubbing up against her and hugging her and saying, telling her want to be nicer to her. I'm like, wow, he's actually, he did. He did stop short of like real hardcore romantic stuff. Yeah. He kept saying, and friend, like that was always how it ended. Every yeah. time. Was, and friend. <laughs> but you hear Miss Piggy in the stone form going. Yeah. Like the- <laughs> um, so I, I, I'm going to disagree a little bit because I think that the backstage plot was charming and led to one of the only through lines we've maybe ever seen. That's true. Them That's the true. So kind of like upper middle for me, um, but my, maybe one of the better ones of this season so far, I think this whole of as an episode. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I really, it was refreshing to have a host that didn't have a shtick to sell. Yes. He's versatile. He could do anything he wanted him to do. Right. Right. He wasn't contractually obligated to push something. No ventriloquist dummy. Right, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is that right? Is that right? <laughs> He's not playing a flute the whole time. <laughs> That's right. The whole time. Or on a damn piano. <laughs> Chained to a piano. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, music this week. Yak and Yak. It was first recorded by the Coasters. It spent a week at the number one pop spot on the charts. And the coasters had a string of hits. This was included in it, including uh, Charlie Brown and Along Came Jones. And, of course, Poison Ivy, which we hear later in the episode. Uh, Minuet in A Major from the Italian composer Luigi Bacciarini. In addition to classic arrangements, he also uh, released several guitar quintets compositions, which I didn't even know was a thing. Mm. It's a genre, guitar quintets. (laughs) Sounds great. Uh, Tiffy Tin, the cut number, uh, written by Raymond Levine. He did Broadway reviews and a lot of early music stuff in Hollywood. That's their so bread and butter. So I'm wondering if maybe that's where the rights are, are caught up. Mm. Uh, but his music's been used in all sorts of things, including recent things like Wolf of Wall Street, Lost, and Joyride. Oh, wow. Uh, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts written by Fred Heatherton, uh, he, which was a pseudonym for this trio of guys. Harold Elton Box, Desmond Cox, and Louis Ilda. The song appeared in I Could Go On Singing, which was Judy Garland's last film before her death and uh, and came out in 1963. Oh, wow. Poison Ivy uh, by Jerry Lieber. The lyricist has been uh, open for years that Poison Ivy is about a girl who gives you an STD. Oh, God. 
He's like, it burns you deeper and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. He's been open about it. It's about a girl who gives you an STD. Wow. Uh, on Wisconsin. This was the fight song for the University of Wisconsin. It was written by a guy named William T. Purdy. Uh, he originally wrote it, though, in, for a song contest for the University of Minnesota to be their fight song. But his friend talked him out of, talked him about removing it from the contest, changed the lyrics, and it just became the fight song for, for Wisconsin. Pretty random. Just like that. It was that good that two universities had to fight over it. It was a fight song, after all. It is a fight song. <laughs> sure, what do you think was the best Muppeteering moment this week? Uh, kind of a different one for me, I guess, is the Muppet creation aspect of it was uh, Tony Randall using the magic spell book to try to reverse the stone spell and just kind of reading off all the spells and seeing Scooter transform over and over again. Like I thought it was done really well. And there were so many different creations they had to make for that one scene. And so I thought that was really fun. That was kind of my favorite. Yeah, that's a good, good, that's a good call. I give it to, um, I give it to yakety yak. It was just a, the musicality was really good. And then you add to that a lot of Muppeteers doing a lot of stuff. It's a brontosaurus at one point. A brontosaurus comes in and just makes it all historically inaccurate, just out of nowhere. (laughs) So I'm going to give it to Yakety Yak. Understandable. Understandable. So, German, what happened on this week's episode of Star Trek? Battle. The battle. Uh, Well, the Enterprise received a distress signal from a nearby Ferengi vessel. And since the Federation is trying to make friends with the Ferengi civilization... (laughs) They're inclined to help them out, but uh, the vessel tells them to wait for a while, strangely. Eventually, they answer their hails, and a Daemon Bach shows up on the view screen and requests to speak to Picard in person with his two crewmen. So they agree to meet on the bridge, and once there, Bach tells Picard that he is there to deliver him his old ship, the Stargazer, that Picard used to be the captain of. Uh, But he had to abandon it nine years ago after an unknown vessel had attacked him, and he had to destroy them, whatever the vessel was. So Bach tells him that the unknown vessel back then was actually a Ferengi vessel and that he had arrived shortly after the battle and salvaged the Stargazer. And now he wants to give it back to Picard as a gift. And this is highly suspicious of them to do because the Ferengi never give away anything for free. They're always making deals. So before and during all this, by the way, Picard has been suffering from an ongoing headache, which has bewildered Dr. Crusher since apparently they have cured the common headache along with the common cold years ago. But Picard suffers through the headaches and goes to the Stargazer to reminisce and get his old things back from his quarters. And he finds a chest there, which, unbeknownst to him, contains a weird orb that Daemon Bach has planted there. And he uses it to remotely cause Picard pain in these headaches and to bring back painful memories about the Stargazer back to the surface, causing all sorts of havoc to Picard's brain. And Meanwhile, Data has looked over the Stargazer's logs and finds a voice recording with Picard's voice that confesses that he actually was not fired upon first by this unknown Ferengi ship, and he confusedly had fired upon it first. But Data and Jordy quickly find out this recording was faked for some reason, and we'll find out later. Around that time, uh, Magical Wesley tells Troy and Crusher that he has detected strange signals coming from the Ferengi ship, and he thinks that they are directly affecting Captain Picard. But just then, Picard transports transports himself over to the Stargazer, and once there, Damon Bach is there, and now uh, we know that he has been planning this revenge against Picard for years since his son was on the ship that Picard destroyed. So he's going to make Picard relive the incident, but this time Picard will attack the Enterprise, and they'll be forced to destroy the Stargazer with Picard upon it. And so Yar and Worf, meanwhile, back in the Enterprise, find the orb in the chest Picard brought back from the Stargazer and bring it to Riker and Geordi on the bridge. 
And Riker then secretly talks to the number one of the Ferengi crew and convinces him to talk, which lets him find out that the orbs are banned devices on Ferenginar, these thought-producing devices, and that he will investigate his daemon and figure out what's going on because the crewmen don't know what's going on with this. Um, As Picard starts to attack the Enterprise in his weird fugue state from living in his memories, Riker talks to him over the view screen and finally breaks through to him enough to get him to destroy the orb on the Stargazer that's causing him all the confusion. This breaks Picard's trance, and he is safely brought back to the Enterprise. And the Ferengi number one says they have taken their daemon under custody for engaging in this unprofitable venture, as they put it. So everything is saved. The uh, daemon Bach is taken under control, and that's the end of the episode. So, Steve, what do you think of this episode? All right. So some things I liked. Um I loved that they they're sort of riding the ship on the Ferengi because their introduction was not great as we discussed. Right. So to see them be a little bit more cunning, cordial, capable of planning and that sort of like is great to see. I agree. Great to see them bringing the Ferengi up. Um, I like that we we got some good Riker moments. He had to take over. I loved the like second in command to second command stuff. Yeah. I like that. Um, and I, I thought it was cool to get a little bit more history on Picard. Yeah, I agree. And, like, you know, that, you know, that background. It's one of the first history um, we get. Okay. So in the original series, Spock was like a crutch that the writers used all the time where it was like, oh, no, we don't know what we're going to do. Ah, Spock will use the magic power or something. <laughs> <laughs> like that was yeah there's t- tons of episodes like that where spock just uses a magic power or something um well in this one it's just wesley is the new spock crutch it's i thought it was data and i'm wrong if anything data pretty consistently makes things more complicated than <laughs> he does not help that much he makes things more complex um wesley is this new thing we're like when they don't know how to explain something or how to make a jump of logic wesley's like I don't know much about cell whatever, but I glanced at that and I somehow translated it to patterns I saw on another thing because I'm so smart. That just reminded me of the SNL sketch. I may be a simple caveman. I'm just, but I know I this. I was a caveman. <laughs> Fell asleep, woke up. What do I know about the law? <laughs> What's this little box? Is there a little man in there? Hold on, I got to take this. <laughs> exactly Uh, so i just realized that like spock was that crush and i thought it was data because data is very much seen as the analog to spock but i'm realizing they're not using him the same way it's wesley this is like the third time that some crazily jump in wesley logic has saved everything that we don't even see on screen this time it's just like yeah he just found it out (laughs) yeah i'm just telling you about the time i did do this thing yeah um, so that's rough. Um, the explosion fake tension with Picard was just terrible. Like, we know why he can't die. <laughs> so you do an explosion and cut away to the faces of Riker and the other crew members in shock. And you want me to be what? Be scared? I don't understand. Which explosion? When he blows up the orb and it like explodes and oh, they like yeah. cut it into slow mode and he jumps away and I was like, come on. Well, now I never have a problem with the the, the kind of um, suspension of disbelief of a main character being in danger because that's true for any show. Like the lead character is not going to be dead. So, I mean, like I'm OK with that with any show that that doesn't bother me at all. 
I don't know. It felt abrupt as hell. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not saying it was a good like scene, but I'm just saying like that does the fact that he didn't. We know he's not dead. And then I kind of have an issue. Like all this stuff have the thoroughbred, but and the solution was Riker talked to him, <laughs> but he talked to him real strong. What it was a good character moment in the early part of the show, kind of like showing this is how convincing words. Riker can be. I kind of like that. <laughs> with good, with good talk. He did Picard good. <laughs> No, it, it actually kind of sounded like if I was trying to explain to Dilly what to do. Your little boy. Dilly, 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 listen to my voice. Listen to my voice. All right, find the silver orb. <laughs> no, no, the silver orb. Find the silver orb. Yeah, that's it. Okay, good. Now smash it. Smash yeah, I, orb? I, I know. I We normally say that. Smash it. Dilly, Violence? smash it. That's what it was like <laughs> with my group card. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, so ups and downs. I did enjoy this episode, though, between them really giving the Ferengi a chance to come back a little bit. Yeah, it was a nice middle ground of like the terrible Ferengi we saw and then what the Ferengi will eventually see in Deep Space Nine. They're kind of more fully fleshed out and interesting and you, you are they're really conniving and you're kind of a danger. Whereas there's kind of a middle ground. They were still a little weird moving around a little bit at the, on the bridge, but they were getting towards their conniving nature a little more, which is nice. Well, yeah, and even the you, you get that little glimpse at their society, or at least command structure, in that the second in command is able to remove him for an unprofitable venture. Yeah. He exactly. did something that did not benefit the company or whatever. And that's unferengi. Yeah. And that is what removed him. Not because he did a terrible thing, a conniving thing that risked war with another people. That would have been fine if it made profit. <laughs> right. He's just because they lost money on it. <laughs> exactly. He gave away a ship for free. What an idiot. <laughs> I mean, he he brought in catering three times a week. It just it kills the budget. <laughs> you would know. I do. <laughs> so a be better episode than we've been seeing, obviously, I think. Yeah. A more solid I episode. That. I would agree with that. Still not even near the best that we'll get in season one, but like this is finally well, getting towards I mean, a nice middling episode. I'm excited. I feel after there were like two or three in a row where I was like, man, is this going to be it? <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> well, they just use the same thing, like two episodes in a row at one point. I was like, what? Well, that was my only complaint about this is that I'm they did have like two or three episodes now we've already seen where Picard is his mind is altered and he's taken off the ship because of it. Like they've done that th like three times now. So I'm like, OK, we, well, we're done I, with that. Well, here's here's the thing. Here's what we're suffering right now. This is first season of a show mm -hmm. in the first season of a show. The producers know who they're trying to sell with that first season, but they don't know who's going to be popular yet. Mm -hmm. And that was even more so true in the time of television where this was made, where there were long production times. So, like, they had to know who they were selling out the gate. And then after the season was out, suddenly this character is popular. <gasps> oh, man, we can beef him up next season. <gasps> like, but this is just in a different time of television where this first season, it's like Picard, 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 Picard. Yeah, Picard, you're not wrong because Data Picard, becomes kind Picard, of a breakout Picard. hit. And they, they definitely focus a lot more on Data and seasons and going Worf forward. Get, gets much yep, bigger parts. Absolutely. Like, but this first season is just all Picard all the time, baby, because that's who they were selling. They were selling Stuart. The Shakespearean actor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
So I think I bet your second, third, fourth season is going to be just crazy compared to this. Yeah, much more ensemble, get much more history of all the other characters. There's, you know, it, it's less Wesley saving the day of everything. So that all kind of happens. <laughs> Good. So some trivia for this episode. Uh, it. The term Picard maneuver is used to describe a tactic of making a micro warp jump before firing weapons. And then later as a private joke among the cast. This term was used to refer informally to the way that Patrick Stewart's uniform shirt would constantly ride up and he would tug it back down. And there's actually huge supercuts online where you can see every time Picard will stand up or sit down, he pulls down his shirt to make it straight again. And you won't see that season one because they're all wearing unitard uh, uniforms right now. They're all one piece. And they had so many complaints. This is just jarring commentary. They had so many complaints from the staff or the, the crew of the show that they it was so hard to go to the bathroom in these things. They finally made them into two pieces in by season two. So that's when you start getting the Picard maneuver where he pulls his shirt down. And I was telling Jolie this uh, last night when we watched this, that I was so pissed at a trivia night um, once where they said, what is the Picard maneuver? And I wrote down the answer when Picard pulls his shirt down and they're like, nope, that's wrong. It's the tactic of making a micro warp jump before firing weapons. Like, what the fuck is that? I never heard that in my life. And I totally forgot about this episode where they mentioned this. And I'm like, <laughs> the, so actual, Picard the actual Picard maneuver in canon is when he does this. I'm like, oh, man, come on. <laughs> All the fans know it's when he pulls his shirt down. Uh, the Stargazer was originally t- going to be a Constitution class starship like the original Enterprise, like Kirk's. Uh, but the production team eventually decided they want to keep that ship special and not make it generic. So the name Constellation class for the Stargazer was chosen because it would be easily redubbed over Jordy saying Constitution class because they had already made the episode and they had him come in and just like redub Constellation class instead of Constitution class for all you uh, ship nerds out there. Um, a blooper from this episode exists that you can find on YouTube on a gag reel included with the Blu-ray season one disc set. On it, Brent Spiner, as Data, walks through the Stargazer Bridge, and upon seeing the dedication plaque, he reads it using an imitation of James Stewart's voice and then saying, For God's sakes, Mary, they built this thing in Bedford Falls! <laughs> <laughs> uh, this episode marks the first time Wesley wears his rainbow-striped shirt, a costume he wears in every scene in which he appears for the rest of the season. <laughs> so get used wow. to that shirt, because that's all he wears now. Uh Larry Forrester's script for this episode, his second for the next generation, originally featured several scenes on board the Ferengi ship to further cast light on their culture, but they were never filmed. Um, so that would have been good and bad because I don't like the Ferengi so far, but it would have been nice maybe to flesh them out a little bit more. So that would, would have been kind of a nice thing. Um, toward the end of TNG's run, this story has a sequel in an episode called Bloodlines in 1994. So we're about seven years uh, away from that one. <laughs> uh this episode contains what Will Wheaton considers arguably his least favorite Wesley moment of all time, namely when he tells his mother and Troy about what's been causing Picard's strange behavior and then therefore easily solving the episode's problem when none of the other characters have any clues. Uh, he then says, huh, adults, after they leave the room without thanking him. <laughs> so he says that's his <laughs> least favorite moment of all time. And the last one here, the loss of the Stargazer is established as happening nine years prior to these events. Picard has, by this point, been a commander of the Enterprise D for less than a year. That leaves more than an eight-year gap in his service history that is never truly addressed in any Star Trek work. And I couldn't believe that. So I looked it up. Even in the show Picard that I just watched, there's no mention of what the hell he was doing between Stargazer and Enterprise D. There's only one book that even talks about it, which is technically not canon. Um, and so it's weird. They just kind of just left that eight-year gap empty. But uh, with all the canon we have out there, it's 
never explained. So that's what we need. Young Picard or like slightly younger Picard. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll get that series at some point. <laughs> yeah. Give me youngish Picard. <laughs> so, Steve, what are our Trek connection, Muppet connections this time around? All right. So 1961, William Shatner was a budding young actor in in Hollywood, but he wasn't getting the big roles he wanted. He was playing little bit parts, and it which just wasn't going the way he wanted. So he wrote an episode of a for a mystery show called Checkmate at the time, <laughs> with himself as the lead. The studio liked it, picked up the script, but they didn't take him. They ditched him immediately. And instead passed him up for another relative uh, new newcomer and not an actor, Bob Newhart. Uh, he was just like a newer name and no, Shatner didn't get it. Shatner didn't interview. He was like, I didn't understand the comedy guy. <laughs> uh, but then Newhart lost the role too. Tony Randall. Whoa. Who did the actual episode of Checkmate. <laughs> What a connection. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, as we as we all know, Tony Randall uh, played the voice of the brain gremlin in Gremlins 2. Also in that movie was Robert Picardo. Oh, yeah. He played Forrester in that movie, who also played the doctor in a hologram in multiple incarnations of Star Trek that we haven't gotten to. And the writer of this episode, his name is Larry Forrester. Holy crap. It all comes around. <laughs> That's weird, man. <laughs> I feel like I'm that guy with the crazy hair. And I think it says aliens. <laughs> Not saying it's aliens, but aliens. aliens. <laughs> well, it makes sense because of the same episode, because both episodes feature a device that fundamentally alters someone. The red orbs that play with Picard's mind in Star Trek and the Petrificatron changing Miss Piggy back and <laughs> forth into stone in the Muppet show. <laughs> uh, in a similar van, both feature short lived reunions. Picard with his old ship, the Stargazer, and Piggy with the crew of the Swine Trek before they change her back and refreeze her. Ah, good one. Uh, both episodes have a character seeking retribution for something they did in the past, whether that's a very recent past or a long time ago. Uh, Damon Bach seeking revenge against Picard for killing his son at the Battle of Maxia, and Miss Piggy seeking revenge against Tony Randall for turning her into stone. <laughs> uh, that, that was literally mine. Both feature sweet, sweet revenge. Oh, nice. <laughs> Piggy chopping the crap out of Tony Randall and Rata, the Ferengi, setting up Picard's death. <laughs> Sweet revenge. Sweet, sweet revenge. Oh, God. What's that doing? Transporter malfunction. It's a surprise part of the episode where one character from one episode is transferred to the other and back. Uh, Steve, what you got for us? Uh, bring over the main Ferengi bad guy and replace uh, the gorilla in Lovely Bunch of Coconuts. <laughs> He's just luring in the showman and his wife and then uh, taking sweet, sweet revenge <laughs> For the devastation of his coconuts. And they already act like monkeys, so it's kind of appropriate. <laughs> yeah, see? Uh, I'll say uh, Star Trek to Muppets, I'm going to have Captain Picard trade places with Tony Randall, because I think he would have performed it almost exactly the way it was written for Randall, and he would have killed it. Uh, he would wear fancy clothes, cast some spells, <laughs> he'd sing an <laughs> so old-timey fancy. song, and then dramatically read a poem in front of the Muppet uh, football team. I think it'd be fantastic. <laughs> Uh, Muppets and Trek, I'm going to bring over the piggy statue to replace Data, because that's how much good he did this week. Yeah, he didn't do much. That's true. Thanks, Data. <laughs> Thanks, Wesley. Uh, Muppets and Star Trek, I'm going to have Stone for Miss Piggy trade places with Damon Bach, just because he is super annoying, and it would be nice to instead just have Miss Piggy turn to stone, barely doing anything and, or saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> And that brings us to the end of episode 111 of the Muppet Trek podcast. 
Join us next time for The Muppet Show with special guest Mac Davis. And the Next Generation episode, Hide and Q. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. 